Good morning. Good morning. In case you weren't here last week, my name is John Peters. Uh, our pastor Jerry and his wife Sue are traveling today, but they'll be back next Sunday. Um, so I'll be here to speak uh, this last week. I'll pray to get started. Father God, thank you for the fellowship that you've given us in your church, the fellowship that we have through your son, Jesus Christ, through his work on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave that we'll celebrate this next week. Thank you for the spirit that you sent and uh, that gathers us here today. In the name of your son and the power of your spirit, amen. There was a Texas cattle rancher who came up to Wisconsin once to go to a family reunion. And he happened to sit next to a long-lost cousin that he hadn't seen since they both were young boys. And the two quickly struck up a conversation and they, they began to reconnect about what was going on in each other's lives. And the Wisconsin cousin, he saw, he saw this rancher's cowboy boots, he saw this belt buckle that was shaped like the state of Texas, and he saw this big 10-gallon cowboy hat that his cousin had. And he had heard that everything was bigger in Texas. And so bypassing no, normal uh, politeness, he just asked him, he said, your ranch, how big is the ranch that you own? And so the, the Texas rancher paused and he thought about it for a minute because he did have one of the largest ranches in the state of Texas. And he had lost track at this point how many acres his ranch was. And so he was trying to think about how he could communicate this to his cousin. And so he said, let me put it this way. If I, if I got in my truck at sunup, and if I drove all day, by sundown, I might be at the edge of my ranch. His Wisconsin cousin paused and put his hand to his cheek, and, he, and then he started to shake his head. He said, yeah, I had a truck like that once, too. Sometimes we, we miss the big picture. And in Jesus' day, the people that were following him and, and even his disciples oftentimes missed the big picture of who he was, of what his ministry was like, and, and uh, of how big a plan that God had for the world that would ultimately lead Jesus to the cross. And Jesus had he, had, he had tried to describe who he was and what his ministry was like. He had he'd used analogies and said, the kingdom of God is like a buried treasure that somebody sells everything they have to acquire. He had used short stories and parables, uh, stories of, of a wedding feast, stories of a vineyard owner. And oftentimes, towards the end of his ministry, he just, he just told them directly, and in the middle of Matthew, we have a, a passage here where, where the gospel writer Matthew, he, he describes that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, one of his disciples, Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him and he said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you, 
There was this expectation in Israel at that time of, uh, from reading uh, the Hebrew scriptures, there was this expectation of, of somebody who would rise up, some rescuer, some redeemer who would, who would help them overthrow the chains of oppression, the chains of, of foreign rulers and foreign conquerors. And they had this, this messianic expectation that somebody would be anointed by God that would be raised up in what they thought as a, a conquering king and would come. And in the first century, they were, they were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And so in Jesus' day, there was, this, there was this hope that this Messiah would come and he would help lead Israel in victory against the Romans. And his disciples at that time had the same mindset. But in what he was describing didn't fit into this mindset, into this expectation. And so the passage we'll look at today in Matthew 21, what we typically celebrate in uh, in the Christian tradition is Palm Sunday. This is where Jesus and and a whole host of pilgrims and followers are, are about to enter Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And the Passover was a feast, a Jewish feast, that they celebrated every year. And this commemorated the time when, when about 1,400 years earlier, God had rescued his people out of Egypt and, and slavery and oppression in Egypt. And at that time, he had, told Mo, he had told Moses, he said, tell the people to take an un- unblemished lamb, slaughter it, and put the blood of the lamb above your doorposts. And so that when God came in judgment over the land, he would pass over the house with the blood. And so from that time, about 1,400 years prior to the first century, they had celebrated Passover. And the Hebrew scriptures called for for Jewish men to come to Jerusalem specifically to celebrate Passover. And so archaeologists tell us that Jerusalem normally was about 30,000 people, but during Passover, People coming from all over the Mediterranean world, it would, it would balloon in size five or six times, and so it would go up to about 150, 180,000 people at this time. And so you can imagine, uh, just picture Eau Claire being, you know, 300,000 people. And this was a much smaller geographic footprint. And you can start to get a sense of, of what it was like in Jerusalem at that time. All these pilgrims coming in. And so this is where we, we, where we pick up the story in Matthew 21. If you have a bridge Bible, uh, I believe that's 685. Matthew 21, verse 1. When they, Jesus and his disciples, had approached Jerusalem and come to the village of Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples and saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. Now this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, who had said, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. 
Those last two verses, that's the gospel writer Matthew. He's recognizing this, inspired by the Spirit. He's recognizing this event, Jesus coming into Jerusalem at this time as fulfillment of an earlier prophecy, an earlier Hebrew prophecy from hundreds of years before in Zechariah 9. But the people, his disciples, didn't have the same benefit that we have, didn't have that, uh, that same benefit of, of, of reading this after the fact. And they really had no idea what this meant. The Gospel writer John, he gives us a, another angle of this, this triumphant entry. It's like... Uh, uh, when you're watching football and, and there's this really close play and the referee will, will go into the replay booth and they'll, they'll, they'll show it from different angles. And so we get this, this additional angle here and, and this is John writing about, about these events. And he says, Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as, and as it is written in, Ze- in Zechariah, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first. They had no clue what he was doing. But later, when Jesus was glorified, after he was uh, crucified and then rose from the grave, later when he was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him. So we, we take for granted with this, this gospel commentary that perhaps they would have understood, but, but upon further research, we understand that they had no idea what he was doing. Now, entering in on a donkey in ancient times was a symbol of peace, as opposed to a warrior entering in on a horse. And so Jesus, with all these expectations that, that the Jews were hoping for, for somebody who would come in, in military and uh, military victory and political victory, he enters Jerusalem at this time. And instead of telling a parable, he's living out a parable with his actions. He enters in on, this, on a donkey, uh, a symbol of, of peace. Verse 6. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt. And they laid their coats on them, and Jesus sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and the others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. Now at this time, Branches, palm branches, were like a symbol, a national symbol for Israel. Okay? We in our own country, we have, we have symbols as well, like, like an eagle. I don't know if you noticed when you walked into the school here, their mascot, Old Abe, he was a, a Civil War eagle named after Abraham... Abraham Lincoln, and they would take him out on the battlefields in, in the 1860s, and, and he was their mascot. He was this symbol. And later, after the war was won, he 
he ended up down in the state capitol in Madison, and they, and they, would, they would take him to popular functions, and he, and he, would, he reminded everybody of a victory of the war that had been won. He was a national symbol. And likewise, Israel, palms and the palm branches were a national symbol of identity for them. And in previous Jewish victories, when the conquering generals or kings had come in, the people would lay palm branches in front of them. And it was a celebration of, of military victory, of, of, politi- of overthrowing political oppression at that time. And so we're tempted to read it as, as a nice gesture, but it really was a national political statement of what they were expecting. And so we have, we have this contrast. We have Jesus riding in on this symbol of peace, on this colt. And we have the crowd shouting out and, and, and laying down these palms, this symbol of military victory, and their, their hopes that are associated with that, and their, their hopes that one day they would be free from the Roman occupiers and the Roman oppression. And so we have this striking, this striking contra- contrast. And in 21 verse 9, we pick it up, and they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, Hosanna was, uh, it was a Hebrew word, and, and originally it means uh, save us. Save us now. It was a, a, a cry of help. But by this time, it it had, it had morphed into as much of a, a praise, a chorus of praise, where instead of mean, meaning just save us now, it, it was sung, it was said in celebration as, as their salvation has come. Salvation has come. And not necessarily in the way that we think of salvation, but, but as much as as salvation politically, that victory has come. And so Jesus rides in, into Jerusalem. And Matthew doesn't detail it here, but, but John, the other, one of the other gospel writers, he details this is just a couple days after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. He had been called to the tomb of some Jewish friends and, and this man's, his, his sisters and his family were outside the tomb and they were weeping and this man had been dead for four days and Jesus shows up and out of his compassion and out of his mercy, he raises Lazarus from the dead and there was this whole host of witnesses there to see this. And then the day before he enters into Jerusalem, he has a, he has a meal with Lazarus and, and his family, and all these people come to see that as well. And that was only about two miles away from Jerusalem. And so if he can, if he can raise somebody from the dead, if he can raise a man that was surely dead, Lazarus, what can't he do? 
he can surely lead us against the Romans. And so there's this fever pitch of, of what they had thought a Messiah should be, that of a coming, conquering king that would lead them into victory. But Jesus had a different idea. They had missed the big picture of what God's plan was. God's plan for the whole world, for salvation to come to the whole world through Jesus Christ. And they had boiled it down to a nationalistic hope of military victory, of, over, of overthrowing political oppression. And they missed the big picture. They wanted a Jesus. They wanted a Savior on their terms. Verse 10. When he had entered Jerusalem, all of the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And so we're asked the same question today. Who is Jesus? And just like his disciples, just like the people there, oftentimes we fall into the same trap of missing the big picture. And we oftentimes seek out a Jesus, a Savior, on our own terms. We seek out a a Jesus that that was a good moral teacher when in reality he was much more than that. He was the Son of God. We seek out a Jesus to help make life easier somehow when, when in reality he called us to serve. We, we seek out a Jesus who, who, if we miss the big picture, we think he just had some nice sayings when in reality he challenged us to the core with what he said. If we miss the big picture in our selfishness, in our, in our sinfulness, we, we seek a Jesus that we can keep on Sundays when in reality he calls for every day of our week. We, like the disciples, like the people in Jerusalem at that time, often seek a Jesus on our own terms. But we miss the big picture of who he was, the Son of God, what his ministry was like, being a servant, loving those around you, and God's plan for the world, that that he should go to the cross, that he he should be our Passover lamb, that his blood should be shed and that God would see that God would see our faith in what Christ had had done on the cross and that judgment would pass over us and we would be spared death when they were saying hosanna here 
Many of them had a small picture view. Now God can still take imperfect offerings of praise and transform them into something incredible. But I pray that when we say Hosanna this morning and sing Hosanna, that we see God's big picture, his plan of sending his son to die for our sins, to live the perfect life that we could not live, to pay the penalty we could not pay, to be our substitute. And through faith in him and his work, and ultimately what we'll celebrate is rising from the the dead on Easter, that we become free from the slavery of sin, from the oppression and bondage of sin in this world. And so that we can say, Hosanna, salvation has come. Hosanna, victory is here. Hosanna, death has been defeated in a big picture way. Please pray with me. Father God, Lord, we, we pray and we confess of, uh, of sometimes the small limiting views that we have of who, who your son was. Lord, I pray for forgiveness when we reduce him to just a good moral teacher. I pray for forgiveness when we reduce him to just uh, somebody who, who we think had some nice sayings. I pray for forgiveness when we reduce him to somebody we try to confine to, to a Sunday. Father, he was so much more than that. He was a conquering king, but not in the way that they had thought. He came to conquer sin. He came to conquer death, and he did, and he defeated them. And Lord, I pray that we recognize that big plan that you had for all of humanity through the sending of your son, that we should be reconciled to you through his blood and through the power of the Spirit. Amen.